it's time for another movie mastery. It's the show where we watch the movies you suggest. We got a big list. We randomly roll what we're going to see. We don't know what we're going to see until we roll it. I'm John. That's Jeff. We're getting into it. What is up, Jeff? Hey, hey. I'm hey, excited. Hey, hey. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. So excited. I'm glad that you're excited to be here because we have a special, wonderful treat this week. It yeah. is the movie. The movie is Andrew Dice Clay's Adventures of Ford Fairlane. Hooray. Oh, boy. And that comes to us from Elliot S. Elliot T.S. Elliot. That's who gave it that that movie. We got it. We got we this got recommendation it. from Elliot S. And then he also told us where Hooch, Hooch is being smuggled. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> Uh, he is incorruptible, that Elliot S. Yeah, you, you might say he's morally inflexible. <laughs> you might just say that. Yeah. All right, so do we know anything at all about the adventures of Ford Fairlane? Well, a little bit, because we just watched the trailer. There you go. And, uh, man, this is real just self-congratulatory. I mean, I know we've talked about this before in, like, Steel or any of the other movies. Any that are, Hulk Hogan movie. Yeah, the Hulk Hogan stuff. Any movie that had a celebrity that was like, I'm doing a vanity project, and it's a movie. Like, we haven't reviewed it, but the like the Cool as Ice, Vanilla Ice movie. Well, I think it's basically any movie starring a person who already plays a role all the time in real life. Yeah, it's anyone who comes to a movie that wasn't already an actor and is like, I'm going to make a movie about me, well, but not think, me. I mean, because it's easy to rattle off a list of garbage movies that are like this. All the Hulk Hogan movies, all the Paul Hogan movies. <laughs> Uh, let's see, all the uh, Larry the Cable Guy movies where, you know, he, he isn't playing wh whatever that guy's real name is, Norman something or other, but he's Larry the Cable Guy, and he has to do that role, even though his character in the movie is a health inspector. Oh, yeah. He's Larry the Cable Guy, health inspector. Yeah, it, that's just, so this is another one. This is Andrew Dice Clay playing Andrew Dice Clay, the acerbic leather jacket wearing uh, douchebag from the 90s. I guess late 80s. Yeah. As a what appears to be some Private kind of investigator. Some kind of rock and roll detective. Yeah, he is a he's a detective that doesn't play by the books but he's just a private investigator and not an actual detective the uh the trailer pissed me off from the very beginning when it was like uh okay one dead rock star one missing groupie one million missing dollars those are the odds he likes and i was like none of those are odds that's not an odd at those, all those are just figures <laughs> those are numbers and he likes them he's a big fan of numbers especially if they are one <laughs> so okay so yeah he's a rock and roll detective there's like a kind of hair metal-y guy who was, got shot, and I guess he has to solve that murder. Yeah, so it's sort of like several things going on at once where it's like, oh, there's, someone's missing, there's a dead rock star, and there's missing money from someone's account. Yeah. So I'm sure it'll all tie in together somehow. And then the trailer features a number of very Andrew Dice Clay jokes. like there's That are just... Terrible. I didn't even hear the first one. The first one was someone said something to him. He was like, "Hey, oh, yeah, and I was like, "Whoa, okay." I guess he doesn't even need to say words to do the Andrew Dice Clay thing. No, he he can just show me like, 
Hey, I'm a nobody. He's just speaking simlish at people. Yeah, at as long point. as it sort of rhymes towards the end of certain parts of it. If he's just like, jibba jibba, grabba grabba. Oh man, that's definitely what Andrew Dice Clay does. Yeah, one hundred percent. Andrew Dice Clay is in The Sims. Yeah, there's a there's even a scene in this where a woman walks up and says, "Hey, you're that guy, that private investigator," and and she rhymes it on accident somehow, and he actually says, "Hey, you're a poet, and you don't know it." And I was like, "Oh my god, did, is that where that came from?" Or are they that bereft of jokes in this movie that they had to use that in the trailer? Oh, all of the jokes in here, save for maybe like one of them in the trailer, just made me go, oh, oh come on. No, don't do that. That's terrible. That joke belongs in a museum. <laughs> That's so terrible. Why would you say that? <laughs> see Indiana no. I can just see Indiana Jones and Andrew Dice Clay fighting over a joke on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Dice Clay's like, I'm going to say, take my wife, please. And Indiana Jones is like, that joke belongs in a museum. You can't, you can't ruin, you're just being selfish. Don't use it. It's too old. (laughs) Close your eyes, (laughs) Marion. All right. So uh, we got to do predictions for this thing. Yeah. So the predictions for this, uh, I have to imagine again, since it's one of those super self-congratulatory wank off pieces that. Uh, I'm going to say at least three women that he sleeps with in this movie. I'm going to take it one step further on that. I'm going to, I'm going to predict that this has the ultimate late eighties fantasy in it of him hooking up with twins. <laughs> okay. So you're going to go the Duke Nukem route. Then. Yes, I am. I'm going to, I'm, even though that's creepy and gross and it should not happen to, uh, to twins. No one should, no one should do that to some twins. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to predict that he, that there's a scene where he's like, Hey, twins. Like, and you're just like, ugh. Okay. So that's one of my predictions. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and say that... I'll also say one of the villains is going to be some lady he sleeps with. One of the women he sleeps with is going to be a villain, and he's going to have to kill her, and he's going to have some dumb quip about sex before he does so. Fair enough. Uh, let's see. I am also going to predict... Mm, I'm going to predict a comical weed scene that is not him. Lol. Like, he's going to walk into a room and say some biting things towards some stoned people. Okay. That's just, I know it's a weird prediction, but I'm just pulling it out of my hat. I don't really, there's really not much else about this movie I care about. One of the things I noticed was at the start of the movie, it gives you the rundown of who's in this thing. And other than Ed O'Neill and Gilbert Gottfried showing up, it seemed to really place a lot of weight on Priscilla Presley being in this and Wayne Newton. Yep. I was like, and yes, that's really Wayne Newton. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I'm going to have to really reach back into my memory banks to figure out who that is. <laughs> <laughs> also, I know who it is. I just don't care. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, you got Wayne Newton to be in a movie. That sounds normal, I guess. I guess. All right, well. And my last prediction is the fall of capitalism and the rise of socialism. <laughs> in this movie or just in general? Yes. Oh, because I have some quatrains I've written down about my predictions for the distant future. <laughs> Good. If you're interested uh, in hearing those, you know. If you're interested, I've got a reading coming up. Yeah, I predicted a evil villain named Hister. <laughs> Good. So close. Uh, all right, so let's go watch this movie. We'll be back with the adventures of Ford Fairlane. <laughs> of Ford Falcon. Of Ford Fiesta. <laughs> Was 
Unbelievable. Oh. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Hey, am I right? Nope. Oh, no, you are you're not. not no. You're not going to join me in I'm, some of the dice, man. You know, a little the dice, man. I, I don't he think he cometh. You know. <laughs> yeah, I know the come man diceth. <laughs> oh my God, no! I will not be joining you with any of that. Nope. I'll give. I could do some Gilbert Gottfried, maybe. Oh, uh, you snapper red. Oh, he, yeah. He keeps calling people snapper heads. Yeah, that was that was some sort of slang that means. I even looked it up while we were watching the movie because I would do anything to not watch that movie. Yeah, yeah. And apparently it's just a slang term for someone that's stupid. He kept calling people snapperheads, so I I started writing down the things he called people because I thought it might be interesting. Because, you know, when he first when he's first introduced, he calls two guys Neil and Bob, which I, I assume is a homosexual like slur reference. Well, he, yeah, he said, they, I, what are you guys, Neil and Bob? Is that your names or what you do? Hey, yeah, it, it, but so I was like, oh, maybe it'll be interesting to see the horrible things he says, like, you know, the dumb jokes he makes throughout the course of the movie. But no, he, he doesn't say anything interesting ever. He keeps calling. There's a guy. They put Ed O'Neill in this movie. He's a detective named Poor Lieutenant. Ed O'Neill gets dragged into this movie. Yeah, he, his name is Lieutenant Amos, just so that uh, Dice Man can call him Anus over and over again. Yeah, which is so boring. You know, it, it if you actually met someone named Amos, you could probably get away with calling them Anus once as a joke. Not like ten or more times. And also, it's not that impressive when the person is simply written with the name Amos so that you can insult them. And the it, the problem with that is, it's one of those things where like, oh yeah, this guy's name is Amos and I called him Anus. But then the joke goes on, well, the joke in quotes, goes on for like two minutes of just, hey, you're an asshole. Uh, I was saying Anus. Uh, and you're like, yeah, we, we fucking got it. We get it. Yeah. The other weird thing, specifically with the interaction between those two characters, whenever uh, Ford Fairlane and Lieutenant Amos are interacting, is it, Lieutenant Amos will be like, hey, get out of here. You're a jerk off. And then the big comeback from, from Andrew Dice Clay's snappy rock and roll detective character is always, no, you're a jerk off. Oh, like, <laughs> yeah. And it happens twice. In this movie where they have confrontations, and the second time Ed O'Neill's like, I consider you spam. No, you are spam. Hey! What? what? That, that's your comeback is to just know you? Yeah, no, that was his his big comeback was just know you. Yeah. And then, even then, Ed O'Neill's like, no man, I'm the one who calls you a jagoff. And then Andrew Dice Clay's like, no, you're jagoff. Like, you- oh, get the fuck out of here, you fucking three-year-old. Who wrote this for you? Ugh. Uh, it's the same person who wrote the script to a talking cat, an eight-year-old. <laughs> this is the epitome of one of those vanity pictures like we were talking about earlier. I oh, mean, yeah, the whole thing. Like, even just the opening narration is like, I sleep with all the hottest chicks, I get into all the hottest clubs, and I have the hottest babes everywhere. Oh, wee. I'm like, oh, I want to stab you in the face. Yeah, and also, can we within five of his actual lines of this movie, my first prediction came true. Oh, yeah. Like, the first scene is him finding twins to sleep with. Wow. Yeah, I, I don't even... I was a little surprised. I was taken aback. I, I've not seen this movie, so for me, I was just like, holy shit, whoa. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, damn, that happened real quick. <laughs> that, was, that was dead on. <laughs> and yeah, he does make out or or hook up with every single woman he meets. Oh, yeah. If there is an attractive woman around, then he will definitely make out with them at least a little bit. Yeah. All right. So 
Oh my god. Okay, so the setup of this movie. It's set in 90s Los Angeles. Yep. And Ford Fairlane is indeed a rock and roll detective and if oh my you weren't god. Sure. If he was a rock and roll detective, don't you worry and don't you fret because the movie will tell you at least 12,000 times anytime they mention him they're like, "Hey, there's that rock and roll detective." You mean Ford Fairlane, the rock and roll detective? Why, yes, I heard he's a rock and roll detective. A detective for rock and roll. Oh my god, yeah. So he's not just a detective. There's even a monologue scene he has while he's driving around in his car, which, by the way, is also a Ford Fairlane. Obviously. Which which matches the picture of a Ford Fairlane on the back of his jacket. Yeah. So he really likes that car. (laughs) But there's a monologue he has in the car later where he just laments the, the shittiness of the rock industry and wishes he could have been a fisherman detective. Or even just a fisherman. Yeah. I was like, great, okay. Yeah. There's a lot of monologues in this. It's like they couldn't come up with quite enough movies, so instead they just had a lot of scenes of him driving around and talking to himself. And the driving around and talking to himself, wouldn't you know it, is just Andrew Dice Clay material. Which is awful. His material is awful. Oh my god. It's hard to tell what's a... Actually, no. You can tell what's a joke with him. Not because it's funny, but because he cannot get through all the way through a joke without one of those joke announcements. Yeah, he will definitely end his joke with a or you know, or, you know what am I'm I right? Saying? No, that's, he that's has to get confirmation on the fact that he has indeed told a joke. Yeah, well, he you you can tell he has to. There's one point where he says, "Hey, I told a joke at one point, and the joke that I told was, what is a vagina? It's the box a dick comes in. Hey, oh, oh, am I right? Am I talking here? Hey, uh." I'm I'm pretty sure that my Andrew Dice Clay sounds a lot more like Gary Marshall than Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> hey, oh. Sounds a lot more like Penny Marshall. Hey, oh, come on. We're going to make Valentine's Day a very charming movie. A lot of people are going to meet. Celebrities will hug and kiss. It'll make a lot of money. Uh, hey, oh. God. So, <laughs> I can't. I, I don't know. I think I couldn't really decipher what was even going on in this movie. I can until basically... Pretty much the very end. Yeah, okay, so the plot of this thing is that he plays a rock and roll detective, and he does cases for rock and roll people, including, for some reason, at the beginning of the movie, Josie and the Pussycats? Yeah, he was like, oh, I gotta do this job for this this band, the Pussycats, and their lead singer, Josie, and I'm like, oh, fuck you, get the fuck out. And they are specifically being stalked by a creepy fan played by that guy that was the lead villain in the Warriors. Yeah, he's the guy who has the bottles and he's like, Warriors, come out to play. Yeah, that cool guy. He was yeah. neat, he was neat and scary in the Warriors. Also, in this movie, there's a scene where he has a bunch of bottles on his fingers and I was like, oh, look at you. It's the only thing anyone knows you And they for. also cut from a shot of him to a shot of Gilbert Gottfried who plays a radio DJ in this. Talking, you just see his mouth over the, the next to the microphone. So there's a lot of Warriors references in this for some reason. For no reason. I think Andrew Dice Clay had to have just been a Warriors fan, and he's like, oh, I got to get that guy. I got to make a bunch of references to it. Yeah, I, I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm really surprised that he didn't also manage to like get James Remar into this movie. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Anyway, um, so... He works for all these rock and roll bands, solving stupid little regular PI cases, except he only works for rock and roll bands, which makes him a rock and roll detective. And then they pay him in stupid things instead of money. Yeah, so like, Josie and the Pussycats give him a gold watch, 
and it fucking in excess gives him a koala bear. Yeah, in excess gives him a koala bear, which is just I don't know. I've I mean I, I may be jumping the gun here, but I think that's probably gonna end up being my favorite thing in this movie is the koala bear puppet. Yeah, there's a puppet koala bear that's a character in this movie. I mean don't don't jump the gun on thinking that sounds interesting. He's in like three minutes of the movie. Oh yeah. And and it's a terrible puppet. And it, it but yeah, it is probably the best part. It's also especially <laughs> the best part because in excess gave it to him. Yes. Which is amusing. I mean, also, I think they said that Millie Vanilli gave them hair extensions and stretch pants. As and pants. bike shorts. And bike shorts. Why? What is... I mean, I understand the joke is, hey, this band from a place gave us a thing that refers to that band or that place. It's a joke. Except that it's... In excess is rich as fuck. Why are they paying in koala bears, <laughs> which is illegal and difficult? Yeah, the weird thing is he, he mentions that like, oh yeah, every band that he works for ends up just paying him in weird dumb gifts i'm like that's odd because that's way harder than the band of just giving you cash yeah millie vanilli in 1990 was rich as shit yeah they could have just paid you they didn't need to give you bike shorts i mean <laughs> also, i understand it's what a joke, was the whatever. job that you were doing that was like oh we calculated how much we owe you in bike shorts i would love to see the amount of bike shorts he received you think it was just one pair of bike shorts or do you think you like <laughs> I mean, it's got to be like a cargo ship's worth of bike shorts, right? And hair <laughs> extensions. Only way, or, or like stock in bike shorts. Yeah. Which, you know, that was only going up between 1990 and 1994. <laughs> so I, I'm sure he was doing fine. I, I'd also like to know what case he was solving for Millie Vanilli. That's yes. really what I'd like to know. I mean, there's no way he didn't fuck it up, right? I mean, it's yeah. 1990, it's Millie Vanilli. It's not like they were high on the hog right after that. No. So I, I'm sure he screwed that case up, and it's his fault. Yeah, he's the one who found out that they were lip syncing. Which everyone that's a lead, that's a singer in a band, does that. I've never understood the Millie Vanilli thing. Well, it's because it wasn't them. Oh, it was, it never was German them. guys. Okay, it was never them. That's what no. it actually was. All right, that makes more sense. Yes. All right, because usually you find out. Oh my gosh, Selena Gomez lip lip syncs during this concert. No, it's it was. Oh my God, Millie Vanilli is just mouthing the words that some other singer is doing. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. That that that's a good reason to dislike them because their fashion sense wasn't enough to carry them over into being cool. No, I mean they looked ridiculous. They look like bad guys from like early '90s Street Fighter movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. I could definitely see that being a thing. Yeah. So okay, moving on. He gets paid in dumb bullshit, but he really wants some money. Then he gets a call from his old friend, who's like a radio DJ now. Uh, and his old friend is a bright ray of shun sunshine in a depressing, awful movie because it's Gilbert Gottfried. And Gilbert Gottfried is there being a shock jock radio host. Yeah, which is weird because he's doing all the Howard Stern like, hey, I got uh, bring girls in here with panties and petroleum jelly, which, you know, is cool. But then he's like, and now let's cut to a song. Like, Wait. And then it's. Sea Cruise. Like, fucking, if Howard Stern did his, like, weird, dumb bullshit, and I was like, and now for a song. It was just, ooh-wee, ooh-wee, baby. And you're like, what the fuck well, is he, happening If he right cut now? to any song, it's it, Howard Stern's show is four hours of him meandering on about how he used to see boobs all the time. <laughs> There's no point where he's like, okay, because we're on the radio, I gotta cut to some uh, some David Bowie here. Here it is. He never, he doesn't do that. No. And even if it was just he's a shock jock, but on regular radio, and he still has to play music because that's what he's doing. He's on a regular like music station. Yeah. Even then, the like what fucking oldies channel is hiring a shock jock? Yeah, I mean, also, can we just briefly talk here about how uh, he called Ford Fairlane and was like, "Hey, come on over and meet me at six. And then he's on the air at six. Yeah. 
think about it, man. You're a radio DJ. You only work like three hours a day. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> work your, it out. Your shift is not all day. Just be like, get over here at four. I won't be on yet. I can do whatever it is I need to. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he has to show up while he's on air. And then uh, they have a back and forth, which is terrible. Yeah, apparently they used to be friends, and they 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 show their old friendship by insulting each other with insults that it would take someone who has never heard of a joke to write. Also, again, Gilbert Gottfried, the only people or only one of the jokes in here that someone gives where he just keeps calling him by different car names. Oh, yeah. That I was, was like, thank you. Thank you for being the only one that thinks this is stupid. I mean, the the, fair, the very few jokes in this movie that are actually funny are almost all Gilbert Gottfried related. Yes. Even after his character has died in the movie, there's a scene where, where Ford Fairline finds his boat in a harbor, and it's called The Mighty Penis. <laughs> and, and I was like, okay, please tell me at least Gilbert Gottfried wrote that boat name as well. Like, he's like, well, I'm only in one scene, but you better guy. It's in my contract. You have to call my boat the Mighty Penis. Good night. <laughs> okay, there we go. That's as much work as I'm doing with Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> uh, I mean, do you think it must have hurt him personally to have to work with Andrew Dice Clay and be an, a character in an Andrew Dice Clay movie? Oh, it was 1990 at that point, which means probably not. Uh, he was pretty pretty hungry still, you think? Yeah, he, he didn't get that Aladdin money yet. Yeah, and he is... He looks young in this movie. He kind of looks like Booger from like Revenge of the Nerds <laughs> at this point in his life. Uh, Curtis Armstrong. There we go. There we are. Uh, anyway, okay, we're, we're really dawdling around on boring points of this movie. Oh, and, well, so is the movie. Yeah, we also have the opening scene where a, the lead singer of Black Plague, which is a hair metal band, is uh, like overdoses on stage. And uh, it's Vince Neil from Motley Crue that comes in on a zip line and then gets set on fire and then... Sings a song and then overdoses. and Which, that's one of the best parts in this movie. Because I was like, oh, hey, it's, it's just Motley Crue is playing a song. I'm okay with that. You can, can call it Black Plague, whatever. I can't whatever. remember what the song is. It's got, I, keep, I know they keep saying something like, like a monkey, is one of the lines in the song. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're just doing a cover of Shock the Monkey yeah, but by Motley Crue. Motley Crue's cover of Shock the Monkey. Man, I'd like to see that. Right? That would be pretty great. Come on. Okay, well... Oh my gosh. All right. So Gottfried's, <laughs> Gottfried's character hires Ford Fairlane to find a girl that he identifies first as his daughter and then as his sister and then as his sister daughter. <laughs> he really just doesn't want to tell Ford Fairlane why he wants the girl found. No, he's just like, look, you need to find her. It doesn't matter. Here's a picture. Her name is Zuzu Petals. Oh, Zuzu Petals is like the least annoying name in this movie because all the other women in the movie are named things like Melody and Jazz. Yep. Everyone's named after music except for Zuzu. Unless until I'm going to find I'm sure, out. Yeah, Zuzu I'm sure someone a... in the comments is going to be like, "Well, actually, Zuzu is a type of music that comes from." Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's a reference to the French classic singing style that produced the song "Zuby Zuby Zoo." Maybe. Yeah, I... that's right. Everyone listening to this that knows about music, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> I don't know what Zuzu. Anyway. <laughs> We don't meet Zuzu for quite a while into the movie. Uh, Curtis Curtis Armstrong, what the fuck is wrong with me? Uh, <laughs> Gilbert Gottfried. Yeah. Go, Curtis Armstrong Gilbert shows up, Shows dies. up, briefly dies. No, Gilbert Gottfried is electrocuted immediately after this. Oh, uh, also, when uh, Ford Fairlane goes to talk to 
Godfrey's character, he's felt up by a security guard, and there's like a woman with ridiculous V hair that's Oh, like, yeah. She looks like she walked right out of a Dilbert comic. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. She looks like the pointy-haired boss. <laughs> and, and so he's like, hey, yo, oh, hey, 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 ho, whoa. I'm here to see, uh, I'm here to see Gilbert Godfrey. Can I just, can I, just, I have an appointment. And she's like, oh, no. And she has his head slammed into a desk, and a security guard frisks him. I'm like, the fuck is even happening? Does, does this happen to every single person who stops by to see this guy? Yes. Well, anyway, he responds to this by kicking the security guard in the face, and there's no repercussion. Nope. Nothing. There's a lot of no repercussions in this movie, but yeah. that's fine, because the whole point is that Andrew Dice Clay can do whatever he wants, and it doesn't matter. He's a super badass, and he can beat up four guys at once, and he's got a, a gun that shoots out from his wrist, and he's... He's just the coolest guy ever. He's, He's a rock and roll detective. He has an over-the-shoulder armpit holster for his cigarettes and a belt holster for his lighter. Oh, yeah. Women keep giving him their phone numbers. That's that's what this is. Yeah, this is a movie written by cocaine. <laughs> like, just cocaine grew hands and wrote this movie is what happened here. Because it's all just cocaine ideas. The sort of thing you get when you're all self-aggrandizing and you're already sort of famous and you're like... Like, yeah, yeah, I'm a star. You don't treat me like I'm not a star. I'm a fucking star. I'm going to do a movie where a bunch of women just bust out all kinds of hand jobs on me, and then I go down a water slide. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, and it doesn't even matter. Like, he has his assistant, who, of course, is going to be, like, the main end love interest. Yeah, the one who he finally goes for in the is end. Is Jazz, and she is... An Autobot. Um, yeah. <laughs> and she, she just she just hates Decepticons so, so much. She does. <laughs> God, how much better would that have made this film? If, yeah, if He's like, hey, Jazz, where's my calls? And then it's just like, get out of here. Yeah, and it has to be the, the black Transformer, because that's what Jazz always has been. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, that would have been a million times better if it was that. But no, it's, unfortunately, it's just a woman who uh, brought two pictures to her hairstylist and was like, give me a mix between these. I want to look half like Jamie Lee Curtis and half like Gozer. Let's, <laughs> let's get that done, please. How can we do this? <laughs> Let me know. The answer is right here. Well, Jamie we... Lee Curtis in the front, Gozer in the back. <laughs> yeah, she looks ridiculous. But yeah, so she is constantly being just abused and told she's oh. shit and like so there's a scene where when uh, he gets the watch from Josie and the Pussycats as payment for stopping the stalker that he uh, he gives the watch to her and says hey oh oh hey yeah it's your month's pay and then she's like what about last month and so he forces a kiss on her yeah which he does five times in this movie where she's like ah, get away you ah. and he's like no get over here I kiss broads yeah and the fact that she, at the end of the movie, is like, oh, okay, sure, that's fine, I love you. I'm like, oh, fuck everything and you. Oh my god, it's the worst. It, it, this is the rapiest movie where you're supposed to like the main character. I don't I don't know who would have seen this script or a uh, taping of this or anything and gone, oh yeah, this is a likable main character. This is a guy that the audience will want to go on a journey with. Yeah, you know, it's funny because a while ago I read a... a, a you ever seen the movie Secretary? Yes. Yeah, it's a really good movie for the most part, right? Yeah. It's awesome acting all around. I've read an interesting critique of the movie that, that even though it's, you know, a true love between BDSM type people, that it's bad BDSM practices, especially that last scene where he makes her sit in a chair for three days. Yeah. I've read that, like, oh, that's unsafe, and that's a bad representation of how BDSM should work, and that's a very rapey scene, and blah, blah, blah. I was like, whoever wrote that has not seen Fort Fairlane. 
Well, the character just walks around just doing whatever. Oh, yeah. Just, just hey, oh, you know, when the uh, two twins wake up, the first thing he tells them is, do my dishes. Yeah. Which he apparently also did to his assistant when we are told at one point that they had sex. He's like, yeah, and then you made me clean your toilet. You're like, ah. And his response was, hey, come on, who did all the work in bed? Uh, I hate... I hate... I gotta tell you, I know exactly who did all the work in bed, because it's the writer of this movie. My good friend, Armed Cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the... Like, the weird thing with the uh, the Black Plague thing, where the Vince Neil dies... Very little to do with the rest of the movie. Has almost nothing to do with it, because he doesn't get put onto the case. Like, throughout the movie, a couple times, someone will come and go... Hey, you're a rock and roll detective. Are you going to look into this guy's death? And he's like, no, I don't care. Yeah, not unless someone pays me. And then no one ever does, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, he still finds out a bunch of stuff about it. Because apparently there's a bad guy in this movie, played by uh, Wayne Newton for some reason, named Julian Grendel. Yeah, And uh, Grendel has killed off uh, the Black Plague guy to make his album sell better. And he's also essentially like skimming off the top of his own company. Yeah, well, that's the big reveal at the very end of the movie is that he is running out of South Africa a pirate CD-making company that pirates his own company's CDs so that he gets more of the gross from the sale of those. Although I got to feel like pirated CDs don't sell for as much, right? So you'd have to really work hard to hit a balance where a pirated CD would make enough money that that the gross you're taking off them would outweigh the amount you get in pay- payment and royalties from your owning the company in the first place. Yeah, I don't know. It's It just seems like bullshit to it's me. It's just the shittiest, dumbest idea. It seems like it'd be way easy. If nothing else, it'd be better for him to pirate other companies' CDs. Yeah, because I'm like, you're already getting a shitload of money being the head of whatever music place is and uh, Grendel Records. Yeah. But then you're just fucking over your own profit in order to get slightly more of the margin? Yeah, he wants a slightly better margin on album sales, but he's he's only going to get a slightly better margin on the sale of of a pirated albums, which sell for nothing. So, I, I'm not... I mean, th- that's the whole thing with pirated albums is, has there ever been a major market in selling fake CDs? Because, I mean, maybe in 1990 that was still true, but that was an industry that did not have legs. That was going to be dead in three years. Well, the thing is, because it was his company that he was doing the bootleg things of it's not like this is those oh yeah i made a recording off of the radio and then oh, put yeah. it on a cd and i'm selling it as the album so what you what we're effectively saying here is that his he was making counterfeit versions of his own discs that he could have sold through different channels for more margin yes okay that's insanely obscure and complicated and well the stupid. fact that he would also have to pay for a factory then pay for people to work at this factory and then pay to ship these cds out yeah i don't understand why he doesn't just reduce the cost of uh, i mean because he's like oh I, I the company moved to south africa where it's super cheap to work even though south africa as far as african countries go doing all right yeah not the best i mean there's a lot of problems there but it's doing better than virtually any other african country you can name off the top of your head <laughs> so but anyway the <laughs> Why not just move your actual operating business model to there so that you can you can uh, have your CDs made for less in the first place? Oh, because I've got to give ten cents per CD to these fucking recording Orphans artists. Are, yeah, something. I, I get. Yeah, I don't. Oh my god, it's so dumb. And he's like crazy wealthy. Oh yeah, the problem is, <laughs> like, recording artists don't see shit from the CD sales. 
Like, they're getting, like, 20 cents a CD anyway. Yeah. The fact that he is basically just making an extra 20 cents per CD and paying out his ass for this factory and everything else, like, your plan is garbage. You're garbage. I don't know what you're doing. You know what? I don't even fucking care about going through this plot to follow it. The whole plot revolves around the fact that this guy's ex-wife, a woman named Colleen Sutton, who's played by Priscilla Presley, and she is doing... Basically, the the uh, the role from Big Lebowski, the who was that uh, Julianne Moore's role in Big Lebowski, where where like ah, I'm very rich and it's made me very weird. Yes. Um, and then so so her and then that shock jock from Gilbert Gottfried, and then I forget. Oh, I forget who had the third disc. Was it Zuzu Petals? No, it was Art Mooney. Oh no, because because Art Mooney w- was Gilbert Gottfried's disc. No, Gilbert Gottfried's disc was elsewhere. Yes, it was, remember, because he, oh, God, he wrote down Art Mooney on the disc case and taped it to one of his own computers for some reason, like, I'm going to do this as a secret, I'll, and then I'll leave a clue on the secret and tape it in an open, visible location. <laughs> remember, he had the, the he had the CD sleeve that had Art Mooney written on it, and the Art Mooney disc was hidden in Art Mooney's uh, star on the Walk of Fame. Then one of the discs was slipped into Jazz's dress by Colleen, which is uh, Priscilla Presley's character, at a big party, yep. and then there was a, a an additional disc... Oh, Zuzu had it. Zuzu had it. She got it from uh, Bobby Black, from uh, from the from, from Vince the, Neil's from, character. Yeah, from Black so, Plague. So this guy made three discs that you have to play all at the same time in a computer so that you can open up a secret file that implicates him as an evil CD counterfeiter. Well, I think that's that's what Bobby made or something because he's the one who found out about it. Well, I, Bobby so must he have made very three, good at, three discs and then gave it to people, I, I guess. But again, they are three CD-ROMs that need to be played simultaneously on a triple CD-ROM player in order to access the secret data. Yeah. Good. Great. So there's these three discs floating around, conveniently labeled with huge one, two, and three on them. Yep. Uh, oh, my God. And, and so that's the big plan. Wade Newton is trying to get all three of these discs so he can destroy the evidence that he is counterfeiting off his own company. And meanwhile... Uh, God damn it. Ford Fairlane is just bumbling around being a gross shithead. Now, in addition to this, we have Robert Englund throughout this entire film being real weird. Yeah. And it's great. Yeah. He plays like one of uh, one, one of, of Grendel's henchmen. Grendel's henchmen. Uh, all he does is say, hello, hello. And yeah. Then he's and just he's ridiculously British. And then he wants to murder you. Yeah. And it's great. It's wonderful. Yeah, he's one of the very few rays of sunshine in the film. Yeah, he's one of the very few British people that I would like. And Robert Englund is one of your... <laughs> Robert Englund, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest here, he sounds like he's doing a fake British accent when he's not. <laughs> I mean, every time he talks, he's like, hello, hello, spamming two eggs, I am. Bob's your uncle, what, what? You're like, holy shit, really? He's like, yep, that's me. Like, oh, okay. No wonder you have to do an American accent in your movies usually. <laughs> All right. Because <laughs> you, you don't sound real. <laughs> but yeah. anyway, he keeps trying to kill Ford Fairlane. Ford Fairlane keeps killing him, but then he just shows up in the next scene with no explanation. Yeah, he just shows up in the next scene in his dreams with a big claw hand. So the rest of the movie is just a series of stupid contrivances that make it so that Ford Fairlane gets to do gross things and be a badass. Yeah, it's just full masturbatory ridiculousness all the time, forever. Yeah, like, for example, there's a scene where he walks into his producer friend's studio while a guy is singing some sort of oh soft Oh my rock. god, yes, yes, because the person that he walks in on that's singing is basically like a stand-in sort of 
Morrissey, Depeche Mode. A little bit. To me, because it's it's like, that 1990 sort of soft synth rock. To me, it sounded like that death of hair metal slow ballad shit. Like you know, the uh, "Be With You" by Mr. Big type guy. Yeah, no, it was it was very it was very much a a Morrissey Depeche Mode like yeah. sadness and, group. And, and they were trying to show off how annoying that was by having like his backup singers look at him and like make impotence jokes while he's singing and and Ford Fairlane's just sort of making fun of, hey what's this that ain't rock and roll come on and and it, it culminates in a sequence where everyone thinks Ford's in the recording booth but he's not he goes in there to push the little kid away from the mic and sing a blues song yep he goes in there and he sings a song about rock and roll and how he wants to I don't know he, be with is, someone the basic lyrics of the song are women to the left of me women to the right i i have everything but i don't have you yeah that's, but I ain't had you. That's the song. And it's just an Elvis impersonation. Yep. It's and, him doing that. And then he's like, hey. And then everyone stood up and clapped. Yeah. Everyone everyone joins in and sings along with him. And then, and then that man was Albert Einstein. Yeah. So we get that moment of him just, it, which should have just been a dream sequence or something. Yeah. And that was the thing is it actually takes place pretty much as a dream sequence because the entire recording booth that he's in just sort of vanishes. And then everyone in there starts playing the song with him yeah. knows the backup lyrics to do and i'm like oh okay this is a dream sequence this is you thinking about what you wanted to do but no he then walks out of the booth and everyone's like that was amazing yay yeah. and then later in the movie after he finds zuzu petals who's the woman he's been hired to find by two by colleen and uh by gilbert gottfried's character which by the way is named uh johnny Crunch? Yeah, Johnny Crunch. Johnny Crunch, yeah, yeah. And he works for K-Dirt. Yeah, K-Dirt, which is a running gag through the movie, I guess. Um, I guess. Anyway, later on, people try to blow up uh, Ford Fairlane's house. And Ford Fairlane has been comically poor and desperate through the whole movie, but his his house is a Venice beach on the sand. It looks like a gutted planet Hollywood. Oh, my God. He lives in a huge house. On literally on the beach, like on the sand, he walks out onto it. Yeah, he has his own boat sitting in his backyard, which is the beach. Yeah, and he's like, "Oh, I'm so poor. Oh, except I own like a fifty million dollar home." Hey. So anyway, it gets blown up, and while they're hitchhiking away from it, this is again just another example of masturbatory nonsense in this film. He's hitchhiking away with Zuzu, who's the little nineteen year old uh, groupie that that's a major character in the film. Uh, who he does get to make out with, which is gross because the whole movie he spends his time just telling her to shut up and making fun of her and pointing out how young she is. Yep. And then he just makes out with her in one scene for no reason. Yep. But anyway, he gets he's walking along going, hey, no one's going to pick us up because we're hitchhikers. Hey. And all of a sudden, a woman drives up in a Jeep and leans out and goes, hey, I'm a girl who tried to fuck you at a bar once. Come with me. Yep. And then Played by Carrie Wurr. Yeah, Carrie Wurr, who, who drives him to a sorority full of half-dressed women and is just like, see? And the most, the most 80s sexy women, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. A bunch of high-waisted running shorts. and Those panties that are both loose and revealing. Yeah, that's those are so weird. That's the thing you only saw in the late 80s up until about 1991, which... How do I know this? I was I was ten and eleven, uh, <laughs> respectively. Is that they had those panties that were somehow looking like they weren't? They were not even hanging like silk panties. Basically, they don't have any stick factor. They're not attached in any way. No, so they're, they're all loose. It's just and loose cloth, yeah. but it's cut in such a way that it is barely covering anything. Now, there's one thing from the '80s and '90s sexy ladies fashion that I do wish would come back, which is the one-piece bathing suit with a zipper up the front. <laughs> That's the only thing I want from the '80s to come back and be sexy on women. 
high, high waisted bathing suits with a zipper up the front. There you go. But, but loose panties? No, they're they're they never looked good, and they still don't. Also, a lot of under boob in this scene. Yep, yep. So the, lot, it, lots of shots of just the same girl's ass over and yeah, over a lot, again. A lot of ass and a lot of uh, under boob, uh, which are the eighties mainstays. Buns and under boob. Yep. And uh, and he's just sitting there going, oh, oh big, yeah, 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 yeah. And then they're like, ooh, look at him. He's a man. He's the only man who's ever tried to get into this huge sorority full of blonde women. Oh, he's a rock and roll detective. Tell us about rock and roll. What is Axl Rose like? Tell yeah. me about things. Tell me if Debbie Gibson is sleeping with Motley Crue. <laughs> and then they decide to... In, in, induct him into their sorority yeah which okay i would have passed because they put on more clothes when they do it yeah they put on a bunch of robes yeah and then they start chanting something ridiculous yep and uh anyway he gets in a fight with some gangsters and blah 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 whatever i don't know why i'm even trying to follow the plot the plot's real simple he finds out slowly that the big bad guy is is uh grendel grendel because every time he thinks it's someone else julia grendel julian grendel kills that person which is really weird to me because he shows up at uh, Grendel's studio at one point towards the end of the film and is like, I, I know it was Colleen. Colleen's the one behind it. I'm solving the case. Ayo. And then instead of going, yes, Ford Fairlane, you're correct. She killed everyone. Please send her to jail. That would be great. He's like, oh, you're so wrong and shoots her. He's like, ha ha, evil for no reason. Yeah. And then, oh, my God, it leads to a callback line in the film because one of the things that was a, a uh, friendly gesture between Johnny Crunch and Ford Fairlane was the line, here's to you, sucking my dick, which, horrible. But anyway, he says that to Julian Grendel, which I guess is off-putting enough that he lo- drops his guard for a second so that Fairlane can hit him in the face with a glass. Yeah. Which doesn't do anything. Like, Grendel's not even bleeding. No, it literally does nothing. He is immediately restrained by his goons and that was it he's like oh i hit you with a glass that made me i guess feel better anyway they eventually escape and uh god they they, they catch grendel using the the extremely old-fashioned trick of uh holding a mic near him while he while he reveals his whole stupid plan well yeah because he's gonna introduce this uh morrissey guy to people and he's like oh this will be the next big thing that i'm gonna exploit but because he was using a mic to introduce this person, like, Zuzu grabs it and walks up behind him while he's monologuing at Ford Fairlane. And so everybody hears him confess about how he's an evil guy and he hates music and anyone in this industry is just in it for money and fuck you and I hate everyone. Yeah, also, let us he gets killed, Wayne Newton's character gets killed because of another running gag throughout this film, which is that Ford Fairlane's signature drink is Sambuca milkshakes. That's correct. A Sambuca milkshake. Now, if you're not familiar with Sambuca, let me just tell you that that is a Greek anise-flavored liqueur, which means it tastes like black licorice. Yep. So he's having basically black licorice alcoholic milkshakes. And very alcoholic because he keeps setting them on fire. And that's that's a running theme throughout the movie is that, oh, he calls them um, was outrageous combustible. That's, that's Unbelievable. His, that's, his, that's his term for the milkshakes. Yeah, and unbelievable is, I don't know how he's trying to turn unbelievable into a catchphrase. I, I don't know, EMF did it. I know, right? Yeah. That's, they beat you to it, buddy. I don't, did they? I don't know. When I, did unbelievable come out? I don't know. It feels like it came out in the 90s and not in the 80s. I don't know. I feel like it came out in 89. Let's find out. <laughs> Let's cut to a clip. There it is. You're unbelievable. 
good clip, good clip. Uh, 1991, by oh, the way. Oh, yeah, no, you can tell by listening to it. That was definitely 91. Yeah, like 100%. Oh, yeah. That's how you know. We did, you, we you can actually tell it was based on Andrew Dice Clay. Yeah, we didn't look it up in the meantime or anything. No. In fact, I had that clip ready. <laughs> this was all planned ahead. We know it, well, what we're thing, doing. Ladies and yeah. gentlemen, you may not think we know what we're doing here. This whole show is scripted. Oh, 100%. Every it, laugh, every stumble on words everything scripted yeah that one time where i called john jeff (laughs) planned for that the one time where i said that one of the boroughs of new york was boston (laughs) planned for that totally (laughs) yeah we have 100 percent thought about what we are going to do ahead of time we are not just talking out of our ass yeah the only thing that we don't know exactly is the year that unbelievable by emf came out (laughs) still aren't sure i'm just guessing 1991 based on the quality of that music yeah Based yeah. on that. Because it has kind of technotronic sound to it. Which is weird, because we actually wrote this script that we're reading right now, ahead of time, and yet... Yeah, didn't do any research. No. That's not what we do. What we do is script writing. Yeah, what <laughs> we do here is workshopping. <laughs> oh, God, what were we talking about before this happened? Uh, Just how awful Andrew Dice Clay everything is? Everything that's bad here? I mean, we, we already pretty much wrap. Well, I guess we could wrap up the movie. Yeah, so... Uh, the oh the one thing we haven't mentioned the the sort of only plot point that keeps coming up oh the kid is there's the kid that is his next door neighbor and by the this, way his next door neighbor what he lives I, he lives on like five acres of private beach which is weird because it when it cuts to showing the house and you're gonna show the beach you're like oh we walk into his house and then there's the beach yeah however when he drives away from his house. He's just very clearly on some shitty cul-de-sac that has a visible McDonald's on it. Yeah, no, that's definitely true, which means... But the thing is, when you look at the beach house from the beach, the part of the house behind... Or the thing behind the house is just a big empty hill. Yeah. No, it's... When they actually use the house interior and show the... From the beach side of it, you're like, oh, this is someone's private house that they have on the beach. But when he needs to drive away from it... It then suddenly exists in the middle of the city? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So he has a neighbor kid, and the neighbor kid wants to be just like him and does all the same weird jerky movements. And Yeah, the the amount of time it takes for Ford Fairlane to light a cigarette is like a minute and a half because he has to do like a whole bunch of ritualistic movements. It's almost like he's got some kind of disorder that makes him do these things. Oh, yeah, he's like, okay, well, before I can do anything, I got to... Uh, snap my arm out this way, snap my other arm out, I gotta snap the cigarette, I gotta snap the lighter, I gotta snap the cigarette again, snap the lighter again, snap the cigarette, then light the cigarette, snap the lighter, snap the cigarette. Put away my things that go into the holsters, pop my collar, pop my collar again, what if my collar's not popped, did I feed my cat, feed my cat, my cat. Wash my hands, pop my collar, wash the hands, pop the collar, turn the page, wash your hands, turn the page, wash your hands. Yeah, so... It takes him like a minute and a half to light a cigarette, and it looks like a ritualistic dance done by a moron. Um, so the kid follows him on this. The kid does the same thing. So also does that with like putting on his sunglasses and taking those off. But what he wants is he wants uh, Ford Fairlane to find out who his dad is. Yeah, because apparently his old lady already skipped out on him, and his dad done run out on him last year. And I guess he lives alone in you know the the bad part of the beach house neighborhood. I guess. But he has a ring, and that's it's his only clue because his dad had the same ring. What weirdest thing to me is every time they show the ring, a music sting comes up that includes the phrase "yabba dabba do." Yeah, I don't understand what was going on with that. Like I looked at the ring, and I'm going, "Okay, that's not a 
It's not a Flintstones ring, right? It's one of those flip-open poison rings, but inside of it, powdered Flintstones vitamins. (laughs) Powdered cocoa pebbles. Yeah, well, some kind of powder. I mean, probably the powder that wrote this movie. (laughs) (laughs) This movie was powered by fruity pebbles. Ten million strong and riding horrible movies. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, he spends... A bunch of time in this movie not looking for this kid's dad until Robert Englund is shown wearing that same ring. And he's like, oh, no, I can't kill Robert Englund. He's that kid's dad. Oh, what a plot twist. Hey. You also sound like Gary Marshall. That's, <laughs> that's going to be my favorite thing about this. Is that, is that we're just going to move put this thing out about how Gary Marshall was the lead star, the star of Adventures of Ford Fairlane. <laughs> Uh, hey, yo, I made a show in the 80s about the 50s. It was very popular. <laughs> uh, yeah, so <laughs> so he eventually, when he finally confronts Robert Englund's character at the very end of the movie, he's like, oh, you're that kid's dad. And then he's like, oh, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I took this ring off of a guy in Fresno after I strangled him to death. He's like, oh, good, I can kill you then. Yeah, so he kills him with... One of those stupid scenes where, like, the guy's got a gun on him, and he's doing, and, and Fairlane's doing the whole, hey, let's have a fight, huh? Mano a mano. Let's, you and me, we'll fight. We'll fight in it. Fight and like men. Won't Put have the that gun, gun down. We'll go. I'll spin off my thing into Joni Loves Chachi. <laughs> uh, and so, of course, the guy throws the gun away and pulls out a knife, and then he's like, Oh, you're so dumb. Why'd you throw the gun away? Oh, who would do that? You're some kind of snap-ahead. And then shoots him with the gun that he has concealed in his little wrist holster. Yeah. Great. Other things in this movie that we didn't even mention that are just dumb bits of extreme 80 shtick. Uh, there's a scene where Ford Fairlane is chasing uh, Robert Englund, and he's driving a hearse to do it, and there's a dead hot woman in the hearse. Oh, and yeah. And so we get a lot of shots of him pretending to have the dead woman give him head. Well, no, it's, she flops into his lap, and he's like, oh, hey, now. Oh, never mind. And then just puts her back. And you're like, oh, yeah, fuck. And then you. A, a long shot of her boobs. Like, you know, they're not naked, but like you, you have the camera just pointing down her, her uh, dress for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. This movie was look at these corpse titties. This movie was real bad. Yeah. And then uh, when they finally park the hearse, she wakes up and says, wow, you morticians are kinky. You know how to party. Yeah. Was, what? What was what? so? The, the basic premise was that the two morticians who he stole the hearse from, which, by the way, morticians don't really, they'll be like drivers who work at a morgue. Yeah. But any, anyway, uh, I but guess. They, they were like, oh, man, they, they said that this job didn't come with any perks. And you're like, oh, you were fucking a dead lady? Come uh, on. But instead, what they were doing was drugging a lady and fucking a drugged lady. Yay. That's a, that, that fixes everything. That's but, way better. Hooray. And, and <sighs> Yeah. 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 Another thing I really wanted. To, oh, we didn't even mention one of the greatest scenes in the movie, which is when we find out that thugs broke into Ford Fairlane's apartment and stole his guitar because he has Jimi Hendrix's old guitar. And it's like it's his one thing. It's his one thing he cares about is Jimi Hendrix's old guitar. And he, he describes it in loving detail more than once throughout the film. Uh, they keep playing Jimi Hendrix music in this movie, which is so awful to do. Just please do not drag Hendrix it, into this. It's kind of like how so many old movies or so many terrible movies have an obsession with Casablanca. Uh, a lot of movies about music have this Hendrix obsession, that, and they don't earn it. No. Yeah. Uh, God. So it, he just keeps playing Hendrix, which is sad. The rest of the music, by the way, in this movie is definitely the highlight of this thing, because the score for this movie was done by the band <laughs> Yellow. You may not know Yellow, but let me tell you, you do know them. Yes, you because do. Because... Bow, bow. Chicka, chicka. Go, bow, bow. 
Oh yeah. Yeah, that's 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 yellow. There the you fucking, go. The fucking oh yeah song. So they're the ones who did the uh, the, the, the soundtrack to this, and you can tell because that's where that yabba dabba do shit gets worked into a song. Is like this is so bounce bounce chicka chicka bounce wow yabba dabba do That's it's like oh it's just a yellow song with yabba dabba do instead of oh yeah in it. Okay. <laughs> that was their thing. After they made that song, they're like, "Well, we've got to just add that shit to any song we do." They're like, "Bow, but don't bow." Hey, guys! Do 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 bow. One of these days, Alice. Bow bow wop bow do doom, and then just nanu nanu. <laughs> Uh, I just want more Gary Marshall connections. <laughs> needs more Gary Marshall. By the way, this movie was directed by a relatively well-known director who's still working. This was a Rennie Harlan film. Yeah. He doesn't know anything about anything. No, he's a he's a French director who basically knows how to put tits in a shot and uh, that Americans are pretty much super cool. Well, he's that's, right. Yeah, that's basically what he knows, and that's that's how this movie plays out. Anyway... Ford Fairlane kills off Robert Englund, and then when the kid comes back and he's like, hey, did you ever look even look for my dad? He's like, yeah, I'm your dad. And he's wearing me. the ring. Yeah. And the kid's like, shut the fuck up. Come on. Which I was like, good kid. Good. good yeah. Thank you, kid. No, just be like, no, you're, I'm not your dad. If, I was, if you were my dad, I'd have AIDS. <laughs> I'd have been born with AIDS because you will sleep with a fucking cactus if it doesn't say no. <laughs> or if, or it, if does. it does. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, uh, so then he, he, even then he's like, yeah, well, your, your dad's dead, but he wanted me to take care of you. So come on, kid, put oh. her there. Oh shit. I, I, we lost our train of thought when we were talking about yellow. The, the thugs broke into his apartment to steal his, his Jimi Hendrix guitar and to hang his pet koala. Oh, that's right. The pet koala got hanged. Gets, gets hanged by the neck until dead from a ceiling fan. <laughs> Good job. Yeah, just wanted you to know that this movie features a dead, hung koala. Oh, yeah, it is. It features more than one thing that's hung, if you get me. Also, a bunch of small penis jokes and big penis jokes. Obviously. Yeah, he's calling his his, uh, penis Stanley. Yeah, after the drill. The power drill, which I did not even know Stanley was a power drill. I thought it was like a cleaning company. Yeah, I was like, I call my dick Stanley because it cleans carpets. Hey! Which, you know, you could probably get that done. (laughs) I call my... (laughs) Because it Dick leaves Stanley. a steamer. Yeah. <laughs> I call my Dick Stanley because it gets your carpet wet. Huh? Oh. Hey. Maybe. I, I kind of see that, but no, it's apparently there's a power drill called that. Yeah, there you go. I mean, it's better than the alternatives. I call my drill, my uh, my power. Dick. I call my drill penis. <laughs> <laughs> I call my Dick Ryder or whatever it is. Whatever the power drill companies there are, they still exist. Smith & Wesson. Or, Milwaukee. No, that's, a that's a gun. Hang on. I'll, I'll come up with a drill company. Black & Decker. Probably started with Black and Decker, and he was like, no, we can't call it Black and Decker. By the way, there's a scene where Tone Loke is in this movie. Oh, yeah. Tone Loke is in this movie for all of a minute and a half being Tone Loke. He's just rapping on the street. And then fucking Andrew Dice Clay's like, hey, that shit sucks. Shut up. Hey, fuck you. No, I'm just kidding. I like it. Bye. Yeah. It's his one scene where he has to insult rap because that's what his fan base wants. And then also apologize and say, no, I actually kind of like rap, which he calls the news stuff. <laughs> Uh, because he knows this audience, this is going to play to a wider audience. Hooray. 
yeah. So okay, Tone Loke's in that one scene. Whatever. So, let's so, let's he, just get to the point where yeah. we're we're gonna go over our best and worst. No, we got We got to really end the movie. He wins the radio contest that's been happening the whole movie. Oh, who gives a fuck? He, he gets a million dollars and he doesn't deserve anything, and he gets it. He gets it anyway, and then he buys a boat with it, and he rides off into the sunset with his girlfriend Jazz, who he is. By the way, he had a scene in this movie where he had gross food in his mouth that he didn't want in his mouth, so he kisses her to shove the food into her mouth. Yeah. We didn't even mention that. That's a thing that happens in this movie. And her, her response is just to go, oh, that wasn't nice. Let's kiss again. Ugh. Uh, also, the koala survives being hung and is in the last scene. Yep. And it's one of the two parts in the movie where he breaks the fourth wall. Yes. There you go. I just wanted to say all that shit. Now we can get to the best and worst. Okay. So, best thing in the movie. Give me, give me your top. All right, I'm going to leave you the koala, and I'm going to say that the best thing in the movie for me was Gilbert Gottfried's one scene. Gilbert Gottfried's jokes are actually funny. I get the impression he got the script and was like, no, fuck this. I'm just going to do some material, and you can take it or leave it. I'm going to start talking, and that's it. Yeah, because his jokes are all right. Not great, but all right. Yeah. So Gilbert Gottfried, was, he's only in one scene, and then he dies. And, oh, his, his death scene is amazing because he's being electrocuted over the air and he just keeps yelling about it. I'm being electrocuted. Oh, God, there are people here and they're stabbing me. They're electrocuting me with electrocutions. I am being electric. Oh, fuck my shit, Christ. <laughs> uh, the, the one line in this entire movie that made me actually laugh out loud is Gilbert Godfrey saying, oh, fuck my shit, Christ. Yeah. That was that was great, and it was especially because he wasn't delivering it like he was dying. He was just delivering it like he was doing Gilbert Gottfried material. <laughs> I am being electrocuted. Oh shit, my fuck Christ! <laughs> that was so. That, to me, that was far and away the best part of this movie. It was almost like no matter what Dice Clay did, he couldn't make Gilbert Gottfried not funny. Yeah. Thank God he's still still working. That guy is an amazing person. <laughs> Your favorite thing in this movie? All right, best thing in the movie for me. God, I guess I'll I'll take the koala. That koala puppet, quality. It was quality. You get, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you get to see it eating popcorn. Yeah, it eats some popcorn. It gets it, hung. It it uh, shows up and is like and won't stop making weird noises. It makes weird little noises. Yeah, it's just. Well, if you think about it, koalas themselves make horrible noises, like actual koalas. Well, they make horrible noises, not yeah. weird noises. Yeah, so you can't play. That's 1990s. The video of a koala yelling at another one where it's just like, Whoa! Yeah, no, they're, they're terrifying. But uh, you can't play real koala noise. You're not, you just can't do that in Hollywood. And 1990 was kind of the end of the era where uh, Hollywood was still obsessed with Australia for some reason. Yeah. Remember that between like 1985 and 1990 when all of a sudden California went nuts for Australia and like they were putting Australians in all the movies and, and uh, like Yahoo serious was a fucking thing. And, <laughs> and, and you had yogurt stores named after Australia all over the place. Yeah. And everyone gave a shit about koala bears and dunkers. Yeah. Fucking there was that brief period. This was like the tail end of it, which is why there's a koala in this movie at all. Yes. But, you know, everyone knew you couldn't put a koala like they actually are, which is scratching, farting, shitty little hell beasts. Just booger. <laughs> just, just. No, they only had room for one of those in this movie, and it was Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> yeah. And, and Andrew Dice Clay, sadly, you can't describe him as a booger that lives in a tree like you can with a koala, but you can get close. He's close. Yeah. All okay. Right. So, what is the worst thing in this movie? And there is a lot to pick from. Yeah, the, it's the swagger of the main character leads to a lot of different avenues to go down. Yes, it really does. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and take the sexism part of it. 
There you go. Because I feel like how that's, incredibly rapey and awful this is. It's so rapey. Every woman he hooks up with in, this, with in this movie does not want to hook up with him. The twins he sleeps with in the beginning, they run out of the house screaming at, at the end, and they actually say, "We didn't even want to do that. We just wanted did it. We just wanted to come over here and do another thing." And he's like, "We well, just wanted to cuddle." Yeah, and he's like, "Well, you got the bonus plan." Ugh. Which is like, hey, you got you guys came over here for something and got something entirely different. That, this sex was non-consensual. Yeah. That's what they're saying. Yes. Main character. Yes. Oh, my God. So, And that's just every woman he inter- encounters in this movie. He is ultra-rapey about. Yep, that's Andrew Dice Clay. That's the character. Yeah. He's just horribly rapey. Yeah. So, so there you go. That's my least favorite thing. And God, it, is, it is enough to make it so that I do not, I'm not going to, well, I, there's a million reasons to not recommend this movie, but I wish it didn't exist. Yes. Your it's, least favorite thing? Yeah, that that okay. stuff is very uncomfortable. My God, the the worst thing in this is since you've already covered the fact that this is just uncomfortable to watch for some very many reasons because of that. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say that the worst thing in this is the fact that the main character just has nothing. Like they try to give him sort of a journey at the very end where he's like oh, I'm sad because I lost all my stuff. Like, my house got blown up and Jazz doesn't like me anymore. I'm sad. And you're like, oh, okay, sure, but you didn't learn anything. You immediately go back to being a huge asshole. Well, yeah. He- you spend the entire movie being a huge douche and it always works out in your favor. Yeah. There's nothing bad really happens to him throughout the movie. No, he loses his guitar yeah. and he gets his house blown up but it doesn't matter because then he immediately gets a million dollars because he's a huge douche. Yeah, that's all it is. I, I've told the story before about uh, the Crocodile Dundee movie. The, the writers originally wanted a scene where Paul Hogan goes into a gay bar and nothing bad happens to him, but he doesn't get that the people in there are gay. He just thinks, oh, look at this. It's a bunch, There's of, a bunch of friendly guys. Friendly guys, and they all seem to really like me, and everyone in here is so well-dressed. This is a really nice place. All right, bye. And Paul Hogan wouldn't do it because he's like, don't put my cat in here, a bunch of poofdas. Instead, he should walk into a regular bar and get hit on by a bunch of women. Yeah. That's what this movie is from start to finish. It's like the coked up indulgences of a character who's playing a character. Yes. That's anytime you have someone who's like, I wasn't an actor, so I wasn't getting in this to play roles. I'm something else. And they offered me a movie. That response from everyone has always been, oh, well, I'm going to just be a huge asshole self a grandizing shenanigans movie then. Yeah, I can't have a scene where I have a weakness. I can't have a scene where something bad happens to me, and I can't have a scene where I'm wrong. Yeah. All the scenes where I am in, I have to be either getting a blowjob or about to. Yeah, and it's it's the two different sides of it, because you have like the Hulk Hogan side where it's, oh, I'm always right and moral and perfect and incorruptible, and there's no point in this film where anything seems like it's going to go bad for me. Yeah. And then you have the Andrew Dice Clay version of it, which is a few other of the movies, where it's, I'm just the coolest person that's ever existed, and even if bad things happen, it immediately doesn't matter because I'm so awesome that good things will happen instead. Yeah, and I feel like there was a time period where these character-driven movies like this actually worked because the characters didn't have to be. I think it's because they came from a point of being stars of movies first. Like, I'm thinking of the Vern movies, you know, the... the what? Do you, not, they're actually... No, what's his face? Uh, Ernest? Ernest, thank you. Because Ernest was like... There's like seven movies that are just about how this guy acts like a doofus. And But the thing is, I mean, none of them are all that great, but they're not grossly self-aggrandizing. Good things don't happen to him. He keeps getting hit in the face with shovels. No, he. that's a comedy where, yes, he's the hero, but he's not perfect, and that's the point of it, is that he's just sort of 
a weird goofball that doesn't understand what's going on. Yeah, where these movies are always about how the, the main character has to be perfect and right all the time and get a hot girl at the end. Even the Larry the Cable Guy movies always end with him getting a hot girl at the end. Oh, of course. So, anyway, they're never good. No. Just stop making them. Yes. All right, there we go. Okay, so rating the movie, giving it a 1 to 5 from each of us for the rating out of 10. Jeff. A 1. Gilbert Gottfried earns it a little bit. Yeah, there you that, go. That's what it is. It's it, it, if you. I mean, you don't even need to see... There are better movies to watch with Gilbert Gottfried in them for shock value. I forget the name of the one where he plays Hitler, <laughs> but if you can find that one, that one's worth watching because it's Gilbert Gottfried playing Hitler. Yes. So find that instead. That, but you know, if you if you're gonna watch this, you have these little, two little islands in this movie of oh nice, which is Ed O'Neill dancing around because it turns out that he was the lead singer of a disco band. Yeah, and he had the song Booty Town, Booty Time, Booty Time. So every couple of scenes you get to see with him, every once in a while he'll suddenly go Booty Time, Booty Time. Hey America, it's Booty Time. And you're like, oh Ed O'Neill. Oh look at you. I'm so glad you're still famous. <laughs> look, this is great. Good and, for you. And Gilbert Godfrey. Those, those are the two beacons that get this thing a one instead of nothing. Yeah. Uh, God. I'll probably give it a... I don't want to give it a one. I want to give it a point five because I was also infuriated. At the rapiness? Just that and the fact that the story itself made no sense. Until the very end when... He was like, and now let me explain the entire plot to you. Yeah. This is what happened. This is why these people were connected. And this is what was going on. I was like, oh, there's no way to connect that unless someone told you. Yeah. Like, there was no way watching the movie you're like, oh, I've paid careful attention and I've managed to piece some things together. Oh, you mean you can't have an Encyclopedia Brown moment where you're like, well, the, vi- the villain must be from Australia because he described the water going down the sink counterclockwise. Yeah, no, you don't get any of that. It's just, oh, by the way, hey, you know those discs? Uh, I have a condom factory that's not actually making condoms. It's bootleg CDs. And you're like, there's nothing in this movie that points to this. By the way, a condom factory, that was the best. They, they yeah, that's the in- best they could do to try and make it a joke. They had to fit in an extra joke about penises. So they were like, uh, the guy's using a fake condom factory. Ooh. Hey, hey, kids, condoms. Yeah. So point five, because Boogers. not only is it awful, but it also makes no sense. Boobies have nipples on them. <laughs> So there you go, a one and a half out of ten. Fuck this movie and Andrew Dice Clay. Yep. I'm glad that he just immediately fell out of the public eye. Yeah, me too. I, although he's coming back now, isn't he? I don't know. I heard something about that. Like, there's, I've seen him on like BuzzFeed and shit recently. Whatever, fuck I, him. Whatever, I don't care. Maybe he's doing. Maybe he's doing one of those late renaissances where he's wanting to make fun of himself, like that, like John Claude Van Damme movie that was just called JCVD. <laughs> Like, I, I don't know. I'd probably pay to see a movie where someone kicks him in the balls a couple of times. <laughs> and you that's know? it. Yeah, it's just Andrew Dice Clay apologizes and is kicked. The <laughs> there movie. you go. So, thank you so much for listening to our review of The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. If you have a movie you want to recommend us to suffer through, go ahead and let us know. We're on all the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, everything as System Mastery. You can get us systemmastery at gmail.com. And you can find our big list of movies that we have right now on SystemMasteryPodcast.com. Go to the movie section, look for the big list. So you can see if any of your suggestions are already on there, or you can suggest things on that page as yeah, well. Yeah, just leave in comments right there. That's a really great way to do it, because uh, honestly, I lose a lot of these suggestions because I got, like, a job and so on, you know? Yeah. So it's easy if they're all right there where I can find them. So best thing to do, just go to SystemMasteryPodcast.com, go to the big list, and recommend down there. But until such a time as we are getting the the next movie in a couple weeks, I hope you have a great one. <laughs>